shotglassdigital.com. On this episode of Geek Out Loud, you take control, you take charge as we catch up on all the emails that are in the old digital email bag. This is your safe place to geek out, especially now. This is the Geek Out Loud podcast. Again, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. You know, I was reading some reviews the other day of some different stuff and kind of catching up on some of the geek news, and and I was reminded of one of the key reasons I started this site, and, and it's almost blasphemy to those of us who know and love superhero movies, but several years ago, before I had actually seen the movie, I read a review of uh, X-Men The Last Stand, the third X-Men movie, which many consider to be this this heinous atrocity against all things good and holy that is, you know, Chris Claremont's X-Men and uh, a, a complete, um, you know, I, I don't know how to say it nicely, but a complete uh, hollowing out and, and, uh, and degradation and uh, what is the word? Uh, for the Most Holy of Holies Phoenix Saga, as well as some of the mutant versus human stuff. And and it just really fell flat on the ears of a lot of geeks. But I read this one review, and again, it was before I'd even seen the movie. And the person was just ripping apart Brett Ratner and, and, and the movie and everything else. And I really, it was the personal attacks that really irked me from this guy because it was a, it was a reviewer who I respected. I always enjoyed his reviews. And even when he was negative, he usually didn't come at it with such venom. And so I was just like, wow, this is really ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. And I'm tired of it. It just kind of irked me. It really got on my nerves. And I'm like, you know what? There's going to be someone in this world who likes X-Men 3. Now, I've not met that person yet. But there's going to be someone who likes X-Men 3. And they need to know that it's okay to voice your opinion in a good, constructive way and, I, and I'm kind of tired of it. And that kind of became the mission of Geek Out Online and Geek Out Loud. And, uh, you know, and I often find myself in a minority of people. We heard last week when we got into a short discussion about Rocky Five that, you know, a lot of times I find, I, it's a movie I love. I love Superman 4 for a lot of reasons. And I find so many times just how much the minority I'm in as people, you know, come at me. And I've tried to like other movies. I tried to, you know, I said, you know what, I'll be that guy. I'll be that guy who likes these things that no one else does. And so I'm like, Batman and Robin, here I come. Five minutes later, I was like, everybody's right. 
I, I, there is nothing redeeming here. This is not a good thing at all. So welcome everyone. I say all that to say hi. My name's Steve. Glad to have you with me and glad to be with you wherever you're listening. Now we're live right now on a Wednesday night at www.mixler.com slash show. We've got a chat room full of folks over here right now. Almost 40 people in the chat, which is, which is, you know, if you're listening, you're like, well, I don't really think that's a lot of people, Steve. Hey, for us, 36 is huge, but we're at Mixler.com slash Big Honkin' Show. If you haven't jumped in on the Mixler Zoo Crew, if you've not come and listened to us live, you're missing a great group of people to hang out with, chat with, try to derail me with, and and just ultimately have a good time. You can know when we're recording all the different shows in the Goaliverse by heading over to geekoutonline.com. And every week there, I'll post the schedule, uh, the recording schedule for that week, which is often subject to change as all the various recording partners and everything let me know their schedules and we and we work around everyone else. So uh, head over to geekoutonline.com and check that out so you'll know when we're going to go live. Now, you might be saying, what's this big honking show? And if you are, this must be your first episode of Geek Out Loud. The Big Honkin' Show began as a radio show. And we had some fun, and it was something I enjoyed doing, so I kept it going. If you're not listening to The Big Honkin' Show, you're missing fun stuff like this. Well, this is not a boat accident. It wasn't any propeller. It wasn't any coral reef. And it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a shark. No swimming. I order the Amity PD. We will be open for business. Now, if you fellas are concerned about the beaches, you do whatever you have to to make them safe. Larry, the summer is over. You're the mayor of Shark City. These people think you want the beaches open. I, I was, I was, I was acting in the, in the town's best interest. That's right, you were acting in the town's best interest, and that's why you're going to do the right thing. That's why you're going to sign this, and we're going to pay that guy what he wants. This summer, a danger from below meets the savior of the night. You know me. We've been at war. Since before either of us even existed. You try killing my mother. You kill my father. You will not kill me. You'll come for the music. You're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need a bigger boat. I'll get the bad boat. But you'll stay for the adventure. Oh, boys. I think he's come back for his noon feeding. Evasive maneuvers now! Batman versus Jaws. Come this summer.
Yes, sir. Batman versus Jaws, the musical, coming this summer. It was a bit we did on the Big Honkin' Show where we got to talking about uh, the perfect foil for Jaws would be Batman, but it would have to be done as a musical. And you heard one of the numbers. Are we back? Are we back? Wow. That is the weirdest thing, man. Jeez, Louise. Strange. Curiouser and curiouser. Sorry about that. Little technical difficulty. Batman versus Jaws, the musical. It started out as a bit where we were talking about the perfect foil for Jaws would be Batman. And you heard me sing one of the uh, tunes there. We're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat. I got the bat boat. It's the bat boat. Grab the shark repellent spray. You know, just imagine like a big chorus doing all that. So, um... <laughs> Everyone in the chat freaking out over the technical difficulty, which will be edited out in the uh, post. It sounded like um, uh, Dave Dave Jones says it best. I thought Zod was about to tell me, you are not alone. Oh, man. So, um, anyhow, we're here tonight with the Big Honkin' Show, or today, or whenever you're listening. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've had some great guests uh, talking about some great things. Teresa Delgado was with us a couple of weeks ago, and we recapped our Disney Star Wars weekends. And I was talking to one of the kids, Riley Blanton from the Star Wars Report, and uh, they did a great recap of Disney Star Wars Weekends. Of course, the guys at Rebel Force Radio did an outstanding job. They're pros over there, for crying out loud. And uh, everyone has a different take when they come away from these things. And I realized my take was, I just had fun with everybody. <laughs> Of course, I talked about meeting Warwick Davis and being on stage. You know, talked a little bit about the Star Tours. But other than that, I was like, all right, that's that was my... And then I met this person, then I met that person, then we hung out. And then Greg and Greg took us all to play miniature golf, and it was so much fun. And uh, then I met Christopher Tichino and his wife, Alita, and we went to the Acme Superstore, and then we watched X-Men, and what a great day. Um, but... I, you know, the event itself is, was always more about the people to me, and it's just interesting that that's kind of the different takes we come away uh, with stuff like that. So, um, we, uh, then last week we had Eris Schoenweiss on from Delray Publishing, and Eris was great, man. Had a great time talking Godzilla with him, and uh, and we've made a new friend on Geek Out Loud, and so, you know, expect to hear Eris again. And uh, it'll be good times. It'll be good fun, good stuff. So um, <clears throat> tonight, though, because we've had these guests, we've kind of cut the, the emails a little short. And we've been getting a ton of emails. We've been getting a we get we've been getting a lot of different things going. And so I wanted to do something we've not had to do in a while. And I'm I'm really excited about this. We're going to jump into some emails. We're going to clear out the old inbox and just hear what's on your mind. And given time, we may open up the phone lines for those of you who are here live uh, to kind of talk about the geeky stuff that's on your mind and in your heart tonight. But that's all about uh, the time. But right now, let's do this. Let's jump into some emails. Oh, 
All right, our first one comes from Jonathan, and he says, Steve, thank you so much for your review of Ready Player One. I don't know if it was a review so much as I was just gushing over the whole thing. For some reason, this book slipped past my geek radar. I recently finished the Audible version and picked up the hardcover version as well. I haven't been this excited about a book in a long time. It was literally a trip down memory lane for me. After doing research on the author, I found out that Ernie Klein and I are both the same age and from Ohio. I've actually convinced my wife to read it, and she's loving it so far. She's not usually into sci-fi or geek-type stuff. You know, and I think that's interesting because what this does, though it does have that sci-fi element to it, it definitely has a sci-fi element to it, I think what Ready Player One really does is it's got some compelling characters in there. I think a lot of the people that you deal with and interact with, they're they're kind of archetypical, but they're not necessarily pure archetypes. And, and you can kind of relate to all of these people on some level or another because ultimately they're just into what they're into. It's kind of it's kind of geeked them ramped up a notch. And so if you have a love for anything, you understand the the passion that all of these people go after this stuff with and, and how much fun they're having while they're doing this real serious thing. There's a great moment in the book, and it's toward the climax. It's like the big moment at the end of the book uh, where uh, uh, the main character, Oh My Lanta, his name's slipping my mind right now, gee whiz, uh, Parzival. Uh, we'll just call him by his screen name, Parzival, where he has to, Wade, he has to, to go through one of the gates that's there, and, and, he's, and he's basically playing the parts of a movie. And... And you find that this guy and all of his friends who are watching him do this are just having a good time with it. And ultimately, that's really the whole thing. There's some tense moments and there's some tense real-life stuff. But once they get into this world of Ready Player One, once they get into the world of the Oasis, there's some fun elements involved as well as some of the tense stuff that's going on. These characters are all likable. There's not a one of them that you don't somehow relate to on some level or that you don't just like. The ones you're supposed to like, you like. The ones you hate, you're supposed to hate. It's a simple formula, but it's executed masterfully. Jonathan goes on to say, I know that Warner Brothers has the film rights for Ready Player One. Now my question is, if you could cast this movie, who would you like to see in the key roles? It's a pretty massive story. Do you think it could work as a trilogy? One movie for each gate. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And this comes, as I said, from Jonathan. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if um, if it would work as a trilogy. I'd love to see it as a trilogy because then you get that whole first act is a great first act of a trilogy. is a great first movie of a trilogy. From the, from the moment we meet Wade till the moment that first key and first gate are cleared, I think it's fantastic. I did find out, I guess I was talking to my good friend Dave Jones from Mark Out Loud, and he was telling me that uh, with Warner Brothers having the rights, all the stuff that Warner Brothers doesn't have the rights to in this book, that they found ways to replace it with stuff that's just as familiar and uh, just as nostalgic for all of us. Um, in in the role of Wade, I, you know, I don't, I honestly can't say. I mean, because I think what you'd want to do, um, especially with one role, you're going to have to have two actors playing the role. And and I wonder if we wouldn't do that for all of them. Now, Artemis is kind of very much the same character in and out of the Oasis. She you know she doesn't do much to alter her appearance while in the Oasis. Wade is a different story. Wade goes through some transformations and some changes while he's on his journey. 
So it'd be interesting. I don't think you go, even though Will Wheaton did a great job of, of narrating the book and reading the book, uh, the audible version of the book, the audio book, I, I think that my problem, as I was hearing his voice, I, I imagined Parzival as a, a Wesley Crusher type character with that look. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm not good at casting things. Anytime someone says, who do you think should play this? I'm never, I'm never really good at it because there's always someone who comes along and does so much better or is much, uh, is a much better idea than, than I ever thought of because I go to who's known and I think this might work with some unknowns. I think this would be a great movie to break in some younger actors uh, who may have done some work on TV or, you know, just trying to get a start. I think this would be a great place for a foothold. Um, when it comes to uh, the guy who who developed the Oasis and everything, again, I don't know. I honestly have no idea. I just imagined random people in my head as I was reading this thing, to be honest with you. There was, no, there was never a character where I thought, oh, I could see so-and-so in this role. I'd like to see Kyle Newman as the guy who created the Oasis. I think that'd be a great, great part for him, even though he's a director more than an actor. But I, I think that'd be a great, great part for him, and I'd, I'd like to see him do that. And he has that connection and relationship with Ernie Klein. Um, that, that would, I think that'd be fun because it wouldn't require a ton of work from him. Um but it, you know, but to have him there would be a great nod to all of the quote unquote fanboys. So, um, we move along from Jonathan to Chris. Um, Chris has an interesting question. He says, Hi, Steve. I'm attempting to and preventing myself from seeing any trailers and photos for Star Wars Episode 7. I want to go into this one as fresh as possible. Have no desire to be spoiled by anything. Do you think you might do the same thing? Well, no, because I'm still here on the internet. I'm still doing a podcast. I don't know that you're going to be able to... Um, I don't know that you're going to be able to avoid too much. Now, what you should do is when someone gives a fair spoiler warning, um, I think you need to avoid it at all costs. Um, and... Um, and that way, what happens is is you're not getting major plot spoilers and that sort of thing. I love trailers. I love trailers. And so any Star Wars trailer they throw out, I'm definitely going to jump on and see. Abrams, J.J. Abrams has a great way of presenting a trailer and you still coming away saying being intrigued and not having a clue at all. Uh, I take you back to the first, the teaser for Super 8 and then some of the trailers for Super 8. It, that, that was a fantastic movie in my opinion. And, um, and the way it was marketed was great. Same thing with Cloverfield. With the Star Trek stuff, I thought that for the most part, it was marketed well, and the trailers did a good job of not giving away anything and not doing, um, not doing anything uh, to ruin what they wanted to be, the big surprise or the big shock in that film. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to, to actively go after spoilers and stuff. Uh, I, the only Star Wars movie I did that with was Attack of the Clones. When Attack of the Clones was on the way out, man, I devoured every single spoiler. Uh, I read any leaked script I could get my hands on. I read the novel. Um, I looked at all the pictures. I did all that stuff. And I think, I think, no, I didn't see it before it hit theaters. Um, but I had a friend who did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, and you know what? And and so when episode three rolled around, when Revenge of the Sith rolled around, I, you know, I thought, um, I thought, you know, I just, uh, I, I didn't really want to go mega spoiler on that. And so what I did was I was just very passive about everything. And so I didn't, I didn't actively go after anything. I didn't read the novelization. I didn't do all this stuff. But by the time Revenge of the Sith rolled around, I think the, um, oh, there goes my phone. I think the, uh, I think the mindset of, of Lucasfilm was, well, everyone knows what's happening anyway. So, uh, we'll just, um, we'll put some stuff out there. And, and I went to Celebration 3 and I'd seen a lot of cool stuff, but it didn't take away from my enjoyment of the movie. So I think uh, I think with this I'll I'll look at photos and trailers. I'm I'm iffy about leaked photo stuff. I the, actually I'm not iffy about the leaked photos. I just didn't like the fact that came from TMZ, the ones that were leaked last week. Um, and I believe our good friends over at Rebel Force Radio have deemed a, a creature Hog Squaddle. So and Hog Squaddle is apparently following us on Geek Out Loud and has bought a Geek Out Loud T-shirt. So. Uh, <laughs> Which you can buy by going to geekoutonline.com and clicking on the Goliverse store link. We have uh, every size in stock except extra large right now. Um, They're cut a little large, so, you know, the 100% cotton, though, they're really good. Uh, For the next part of this email, I'm going to bring in a friend who wanted to talk some of this stuff with me really quickly. Uh, Let's see if we can pull him up here. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, as, as the Skype works to call him... Please welcome to the show uh, our good friend and co-host of Mark Out Loud, the great Dave Jones. Hello, everyone. How's it going, man? It's good, man. How do I sound? Uh, you sound great. You sound better than I've ever heard you sound. That's fantastic. Man, why can't you do this good for Mark Out Loud? Well, you know. I hear you. Well, Dave... Save I, it for the special occasions. There you go. I'm, I'm bringing you in on this because on this particular email, uh, Chris goes on to say... I just saw X-Men Days of Future Past. What can I say? It was epic. The things that really stood out to me this time around were character moments. And he talks about some scenes between uh, the younger and older Xavier, which we've seen in the trailer, that sort of thing. Um, He says, The scene that was filled with so much emotion, especially when Patrick Stewart gave James McAvoy the speech concerning hope. This is the stuff I look forward to most, more so than all the action and spectacle. Anyway, looking forward, uh, oh, he goes on with a little personal note about an interview. I'll be doing a um, podcast with Chris pretty soon. He's going to be having me on his show. Uh, Dave, you texted me the other day, and, and I want to be careful because we're not, we're not promoting this as our X-Men Days of Future Past discussion, and I want to be careful not to jump into spoilers for stuff that, uh, that folks haven't seen. Um, but... You were jonesing, excuse the pun, which was not intentional, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you were, uh, you were, you were, you were jonesing to talk some X Men Days of Future Past after you saw it. What did you think of the movie? I thought it was fantastic. It was, it was to me. I mean, I was, I was itching to see where they were going to go after X Men Three, um, after the Last Stand, and I know we got First Class, which was I thought was great. I thought yes. it was an awesome movie. Yeah. But I wanted to see what happened to, uh, you know, Xavier. What happened? Well, maybe not Xavier. That's that's kind of one of those things I want to talk about in a minute. But okay. uh, uh, maybe what happened to Wolverine, which we got a little bit of in the Wolverine. But just wanted to know what was what what did the future hold for Xavier's school? You know, sure. like what where was it going after those grim events of the Last Stand? Because 
man, what a what a downer of a movie, but you know, it's still one of my favorite X Men movies. So you're in my camp. You enjoyed the Last Stand, okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, were, were you? Did you read X Men back in the day? No, you know, I didn't. Um, I, I, my main claim to fame with the X Men is um, with watching the uh, cartoon on. Uh, okay. That yeah, that was my next question. So you you came up with the cartoon, which by and large was pretty faithful when they tackled these big storylines was pretty faithful to these big storylines. They did the Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix saga, and did it well. In fact, they took it, they ripped um, a scene right out of the comics when Wolverine was coming up from the sewers into the Hellfire Club, mm-hmm. and he gives that little speech, that the kind of the Dirty Harry speech, about, you know, you these claws are made the hardest metal on Earth, and, you know, and I've got a healing factor that can heal faster than you can hurt me, so you got to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lunky? Well, do you, punks? Well, you know? you know, they had a lot of the comic book writers working on the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it was, you know, and so a lot of people have said that they did a better job on the cartoon of doing the Dark Phoenix saga than uh, the movie. But, okay, fine. That's that's fair, and that's true. <clears throat> but um, when I, I don't know, I, I went to see, I saw X-Men Days of Future Past with Riley and Bethany, the kids from the Star Wars Report, and I saw it as well with uh, a good friend of the show's Christopher Titchenell. And uh, Christopher kind of busted my chops the other night on the Big Honkin' Show about um, about being on my phone while the movie was going. But I was in communication with like people who were at the parks and trying to make sure we were all back together at the right time and that sort of thing. Um, and and then he talked about there was the one moment at the end uh, as everything's wrapping up and and Wolverine wakes up and again don't want to don't want to spoil anything, but as right. he's walking through the mansion. I sensed what was coming, and I just said, "Shut up!" <laughs> and uh, sure enough, there it was. There they were. There this was, and I was just like, "Eh, okay." Um, you know, and I don't know how to talk about it without spoiling everything. But I just look, and I'm like, "So, what happened?" You well, know what, what I mean. You, you know what I mean. I'm not. I mean, I'm saying I understand what happened. Right. But of everything that I'd seen before this movie, what happened? You know, I mean, I think, let me try to, I guess, frame this. This is just what I took away from it. The events of the Last Stand put us into the beginning of Days of Future Past. Okay, because of what happened, because of the battle that happened. Right, right. Because of the so-called cure. I mean, it just escalated things. And then, you know, that's that's the premise of this movie is how are we going to fix this situation that we've got ourselves into? I mean, uh, Magneto or Eric and Charles were talking about it. Future Eric and Charles were talking about how much time they wasted all those years fighting. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I, I don't want to get too too much into the movie, but I mean, like, there are those character moments. Yeah. And, and at one point, Charles Xavier looked at Magneto and he's like, it was here, number one. <laughs> You know, if he did, I would have marked out. I mean, you know, not to use a wrestling term, but <laughs> let's be honest here. It was know. him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was missing the Jonathan Frakes cameo. Sure. That would have been great. Sure. But, you know. But, yeah, I just, I mean, man, I, I, this was everything that I wanted it to be. Really? This was everything that the trailer made it look like it was to me. Really? It really was. I mean, I, you know, more so probably than First Class, which I thought was incredible. I mean, really? and I still do. Yeah. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Wow. 
Absolutely. Now tell me your problem. Like, I mean, I was underwhelmed. You were underwhelmed. Like, just it was just the ending that underwhelmed you, or well, the whole thing. I just when it was over, and you know that final credit scene rolls and everything, and the lights come up. I looked around. I looked at Riley and Bethany. I looked at Chris, and I was like, um, "Wow, a lot just happened for nothing to happen." But a lot happened, man, and a lot's still going to happen. Yeah, I mean, a lot. I'm really excited about where they're going. Um, yeah. I just don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how excited I am about, you know, all the time streams and all the different time periods and everything. It's like, let's just, let's move on. One of the problems I've had with the X-Men for years and years and years, and this is me as a comic book fan now, is everyone jumped on this X-Men train back in the day, back in the early 90s. And and before that, they did too, but, but to step into that world, you had to, it was a dense world to step into. Chris Claremont turned that book around, and um, and bef- I mean, way back, Chris Claremont when he took over Giant Size X Men number one and, and and forward, when he took over and he turned that book and that title around, and that's when they got into some things. And now this is here's some of my issues coming, just straight from the comic and not not the movie. Okay, so I want you to understand right now I'm talking comic slash cartoon stuff right now. All right. I've never liked the idea that everyone doesn't like mutants in a world of superheroes. Mm-hmm. That everyone is completely scared to death and cannot stand the X-Men, but they're completely okay with the Fantastic Four. Well, I mean, I could see that. I absolutely can. It, it just never made sense to me. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's very valid. But you, I think what you have to look at is that the X Men's not the superhero. I mean, it's really not a superhero movie. I mean, it, I mean, they are these people who can do extraordinary things, but it doesn't have the traditional good guy bad guy situation. No, you're, you're right. You're right. Now, I'm, and again, I'm talking about the comics right now. Right, I'm, right, I'm right. In the comics, and and so for me to, and I understand that the anti mutant idea is just kind of a. Um, a, a way, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Symbolism, you know, for racism and that sort of thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but in a world where you have Colossus, whose body turns to metal, uh, but he can turn back and look normal, and then you look across the street and there's the thing, you know, who's always this big pile of rocks. I never understood why people would turn and throw things at Colossus and be super excited about who the thing was. You know? I don't know. I don't know if it, you know, honestly, Steve, you know, I wasn't a Marvel guy growing up, right. but I, I have to wonder just looking at it from what I know of both franchises is just, was the fantastic four more in the public eye than like the X-Men? Were? Oh, I mean the fantastic four were, were celebrities. So I'll take you to someone else, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, any you take anybody that's not a mutant with superpowers and people are pretty much behind him. Spider-Man is a different ball of wax because Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson, Daily Bugle kind of went after him, but you had heroes for hire, uh, you know, that people dug, you know, and it wasn't the hero worship of the Marvel, of the DC universe. You know, one of the coolest moments to me in comic books was that JLA Avengers uh, crossover that was done back, uh, gosh, 10 years ago now or so. Yeah, yeah, excellent Um, story. and, And when the DC characters find themselves in the Marvel universe, Superman's ticked off that things are so bad. 
And when the Marvel characters find themselves in the DC universe, Captain America is ticked off that these guys have set them up as like heroes and people are making up of, um, uh, you know, making statues and stuff like that. Right. So, I, you know, I just, um, <clears throat> I think that the idea is that that was an issue I always had. And so, but then also when you stepped into an X-Men comic book, it was just hard to step into because of all the history and everything that was done to build up to that. So I never really got into the X-Men, even though I was a Marvel kid. I watched some of the cartoon because it was a superhero cartoon on TV. Mm. Back when the first X-Men movie came out, man, I was blown away. I was like, well, to me, and I know people will cite Blade and be like, well, Blade did it. To me, (laughs) no, he didn't. It wasn't. It's not the same thing. Blade did it first. Um, That's awesome. To me, the first X-Men movie kicked off this era of superhero movies that we now know and love. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And and X Men Two just kicked that up a notch, you know, kicked in high gear. You throw in the first Spider Man with that, and all this other stuff that goes down. And um, and 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 again, I come at this as someone who enjoyed X Men Three. I come at this as someone who did not have a problem with X Men Origins Wolverine. You know, same here. Yeah, I had I had problems with it, but it wasn't enough for me to be like, well, this is a steaming pile of dung. Right. Who, who made this? I am totally against this world. I will not have this with this Wolverine <laughs> X-Men origin. Someone must be made to pay. And wow. um and and then I like the Wolverine, I, you know, okay. I loved X-Men First Class. I thought X-Men First Class was great. Um and and so I was looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. But I just as it unfolded and everything started to happen, I was just bored. Now, do you think it has anything to do with the fact that you were at a Star Wars weekend and we're going to an X-Men movie? Do you think like your franchises might might not have uh, should have collided or the two worlds shouldn't have come together? Yeah, I mean, you were there with the uh the Blanton folks who are, you know, have their have their Star Wars stuff, and I'm not saying they can't like other things. But you had all this Star Wars going on. You had mm-hmm. you had seen Willow in the flesh, you know. Mm. You'd seen you had seen Wicket in the flesh. Mm. Uh, so I mean, I wonder if maybe you watch this another couple of times. I'm not saying now. I'm not saying go spend a bunch of money. But is this one of those movies like I found with Man of Steel, <laughs> where the more I watch it, the better it gets? Carissa in the chat says, "Do you think it has anything to do with being bored?" Um, <laughs> I think. Well, thank y'all, everybody. Yeah, have a great night. Good night. Um, <laughs> I think you make a great point. I think you make a really good point. I I'm not sure how Riley and Bethany felt about it because I end up running my mouth. You know me, man. You get around me and I just start talking because mm-hmm. I feel like I've got to entertain everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I you know it might be that it was just the circumstances. I'd come off this great man that. I can't tell you how amazing the Acme Soupy Soupy Superstore is that Dr. Quest, Christopher Titchenell, took me to. Um, 
I mean, like, I just started walking around, and, and we talked about it. He called in the other night to the Big Honkin' Show, and we talked about it. You know, he said, you know, I was like, I felt kind of rude because I'm just in all this place. He said, well, you know, you and you've said, he said, you know, he told me, he said, I've heard you say before that when you get really into something, you just get quiet. Well, and I was, there's there's not one in Hazelhurst. Right. right? There's no comic stores in Hazelhurst. It, yeah, no comic stores within two hours. Yeah. And so I was, um, so there I was at the Acme Soupy store, and, um, and we come off of that, and I guess I was just really expecting this amazing geek experience to take place, um, and totally bowl me over because I do think I do think the movie was a little too preachy, I do think it was a little too full of itself, you know. But side uh, examples, side examples, just this whole. I, again, I'm bringing a lot of baggage not, to the table. Just because I'm going to argue with you about it, just because I'm interested. <clears throat> just well, like where John, where uh, Chris talks about in his email, he talks about the conversation that you know Charles has with himself, mm-hmm. where where old Charles talks to young Charles, and they talk about hope and and uh, you know it's just like okay, if if old me started talking to me now. I'd be like, someone needs to admit me, you know? Granted, they were in some weird circumstances and stuff, I know. <laughs> um, All right, well, think about it like this. Like, like Rocky in Rocky Five, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, he's having a conversation with Mick, who's been dead for a while at this point, right? Hey, hey Mick. Well, he was just kind of remembering. He wasn't, he wasn't, are you, wait, are you talking about at the beginning? Where he's like, I just want to go home, Mick. No, no, I'm talking about when he says, get up, you son of a... Yes. Well, I mean, he's just thinking about that. That's just. I don't think that is Rocky thinks Mickey's really saying that. I think in his mind, he's just imagining Mick being the angel on his shoulder, looking down and and doing that. They built to that with those flashbacks earlier on in the movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doc Zins says, "Oh Lord, Steve's back on Rocky." (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to me, it was just it was just that pick me up that young Charles needed. And you know he had he had gone through quite a bit since we saw him in first class. Yeah, but is is yourself the person that needs to pick yourself up? Maybe it is in that situation. You know, I don't know. Wolverine had tried himself. You know, we're friends in the future, all that, and he basically told him to get out. And uh, the PG version was get out. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I think I think that was Wolverine's last resort, his last try. And well, man, there's some stuff, Steve, and I, I don't want to go too far into it. But go ahead. There's some things that go on with Wolverine, mm-hmm. where when he sees somebody, he starts flashing the stuff that happened. But it yes, yes. Now, see, that was kind of neat. But then mm-hmm. I also didn't. I'm like, oh great, it's all going to fall apart now. I hate. I am terrible about. It. I hate when things fall apart. I hate when everything's going well, and then all of a sudden it just falls to crap. I just cannot stand that, and that stressed me out a little bit. And I was, and and I didn't know what was about to happen. If that, if the, if everything was just going to really spiral out of control from that point, or what the deal was going to be, the final battle sequence and everything to me was just weird. I didn't understand young Magneto's motivations in a way with what he was trying to do. I I like the stuff with Quicksilver. Everyone's really all about Quicksilver and stuff, you know. Right now, yeah. I feel like though there's been too much made of him. In this movie, you know, I just, well, maybe he's got that Boba Fett syndrome. Like, he may, he may do because if you read the comics, Quicksilver's kind of annoying, and not, oh yeah, and not in so. a good, and not in a good way. And I think that sequence though was so well done, the big sequence with Quicksilver, 
um, was so well done with the Jim Croce mu- music and I mean everything just I think everybody in the theater like there's people in the theater with me and people were like kind of laughing oh, but yeah, like not, every- not in that way of like hey let's make fun of this oh but, no like, oh, this listen, is cool you the know folk, the folks in our theater loved it mm-hmm. loved it Carissa says explain good annoying I don't mean in the comics he's not annoying because he's supposed to be annoying he's just annoying yeah so and he's he's on a high horse all the time and I understand this was a younger version of that, but it's nothing that I've ever seen Quicksilver be ever. And, you know, that's okay, um, I guess, to an extent. Um, but I just don't... Mm, I'm just not... It, I wasn't sold. I wasn't sold on everything that they tried to sell me on in this particular movie, I guess. Well, I thought Hank McCoy was a standout again. Okay. I mean... The actor that played him, I thought, was just incredible. Right. Um, very loyal to Charles, which I loved. Like, I just love that Charles has this guy he can always count on by his side, you know. And, um, you know, a lot of the people disappeared from first class. I mean, we, yeah. you know, th- there was the one guy, Steve, and you probably know the name. Azazel. Yeah. Was that him at the beginning who was in Vietnam? And, uh, uh, well, you had Toad there. You had Havoc in Vietnam. Maybe it was Havoc. Yeah. He was in the first movie. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So he he only had like a you know like one scene. Yeah, basically. and that kind of bothered me. But you know, and then everyone else had been killed. Like you know, Trask had gotten a hold of him and killed him. Basically, sorry, yeah. spoiler alert, guys. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, and and that, look, that's fine. Okay, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm not. It was. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I I was just a little underwhelmed. I guess. Right. I was just laughing at uh, Doctor Quest here. I wanna, I wanna get to a, a question real quick because Alicia says, "Didn't his sister have kids? Do we know who the daddy is?" Uh, the in the comics, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are brother and sister, and their father is actually Magneto. That's there was a line in the movie, kind of you know, that hinted at that for the X Men. Now that's not going to be the case when they show up in the Avengers. Um, I was going to ask you about that. No, I don't, because you can't have any of that mutant connection. So they may reference something kind of weird. vague. Yeah, they're going to have to be very vague, though, probably, as litigious as Fox would get. But but Scarlet Witch fell in love with the Vision, who was an android. Mm -hmm. Somehow they had kids. Um, Somewhere along the way the kids died somehow or you find out they were just kind of made up constructs of Scarlet Witch's power. Now this is all in the comics that caused Scarlet Witch to go crazy in the comics. And, and there was this whole event called Avengers disassembled. Then there was the house of M where, where basically she recrafted reality. But then at the end she said no more mutants and most of the mutants were, um, wiped out. And, uh, then, um. Then the Phoenix Force came back in Avengers versus X Men, AVX. Anyhow, wow. I've yeah, I've gone off on a big long tangent. But now, yeah. now, have you read AVX? Yes. Is it great? Oh my gosh, Dave! There's this moment where Captain America the 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 book opens on a splash page of just Captain America's face, and he's like, "I'm sorry to have to come to you. You know I respect you." And it starts to back up, and you kind of see some people in the distance behind Cap, and he's like, I wouldn't be here if we didn't absolutely need you right now. 
and so I'm asking you the best way I know how and the next panel kind of backs up and you see that he's standing on kind of out in the desert somewhere and basically you pull back and it's the Hulk he's talking to. Oh, wow. And, cool. uh, and the Hulk says, okay, Hulk will smash. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this so. the one where, um, spoiler alert, um, Scott kills Xavier? I don't remember if he killed Xavier. Yes, because they okay. got the Phoenix Force. And see, this is <clears throat> this is kind of my problem with X Men comics, and I read them from time to time. But I have to buy the graphic novels, mm -hmm. or the trades, and I've bought Days of Future Past, uh, God Loves, Man Kills, uh, The Dark Phoenix, mm -hmm. and Old Soldiers, and a couple of others. But the lineup changes, the schisms. Yeah. You know, they had the X Men schism. Yeah, well, you got. It, I mean, and Dave during the during the late '80s into the '90s, you had X Men, X Factor, Uncanny X Men, The Astonishing X Men, New Mutants, um, you know, uh, X Force, all these different people. So, um, you know, it's it's it was always a hard book to get into, and 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 nowadays comics are really hard to get into. I I think the comic industry, DC and Marvel both, underestimate how hard it is to to get into comics for for someone new i will say um i've picked up a couple of marvel titles mm -hmm. in the last three months one being moon knight one being daredevil that they start with new number ones mm -hmm. and i know they do that from a sales standpoint but it's also a decent jumping on point well i heard joe casada talk about that and it's mm -hmm. not just um it's it's not just to trying to boost sales to get a new number one out there it really is to try to attract new readers to give them a good jumping on point. So, yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean going back to the movie though. I mean, this was this was everything I would I would want in in in, in an action science fiction slash superhero type movie. I mean, there was lots of battle scenes. We got to see Bishop. I mean, that's a character that I've, you know, much like Boba Fett, I didn't know a lot about. I mean, he he was here and there in the cartoon. Mhm. Mm um you know, he he and Cable were always like these like untouchables. You know that I just thought were so cool. Right, you know, right. oh look at this. You know, that kind of thing. And so to see him in the flesh was awesome. Now, yeah. did he was he pretty loyal to what the character is in the comics, Steve? I couldn't you know tell what? you. I couldn't tell you. By the time Bishop and Cable and all came around, I'm like, nope, I'm not even going to go over that way. You the, checked out. Huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as the, I was never checked in to the X Men. Mm -hmm. You know, the closest I'd get to the X-Men is if they crossed over into another book that I was reading or when the whole Onslaught thing happened just before Heroes Reborn and the Heroes Return stuff. And, you know, and I just kind of I kind of stayed away. Yeah. So. So what do you what's your hope for the future as far as the franchise goes? I want to see Archangel on screen. He's one of my favorite designs for a character. Um you know, they, they touched on Angel. Angel's always... I've just liked the idea of some dude with wings for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I and, and I was really disappointed with how underused he was in uh, X-Men 3, but it didn't ruin the movie for me. Um, no, he, he had a nice scene where he saved his father at yeah, the end. I thought right. that was awesome. Yeah, but I like the, uh, the, the character. I don't know if you're familiar when I say Archangel, what I'm talking about. Now, um, he wore the armor, right? Well, he, he had the, the metal wings, and like mm -hmm. he was all purple and blue and stuff. And I've always just dug the look of that character. Now, and, in the cartoon, uh, didn't Apocalypse use him as a four horseman? Yeah, that's no? that's why he became the Archangel. Okay, yeah, all right. Th and that's what Apocalypse would do. He'd take people. And the Hulk one time got roped into Apocalypse stuff. 
Um, and that nice. was that was some cool stuff. And him and the Juggernaut went at it. It was really really cool. I always like when the Juggernaut would cross over into the Hulk or some other books. You know, I like the Juggernaut as a character. I didn't like what they did with him in the Last Stand necessarily. Um, no, I mean his look was cool, but like the whole time I'm going. He's Xavier's brother. <laughs> yeah, I feel well. See, and I, I think my big problem was the look. I feel like that with the Juggernaut, you either needed to get someone bigger or be willing to go digital and put that helmet and do the helmet right, not have some little cement uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica flight helmet looking thing on him. Nice. You know, I mean, isn't that nice. what it looks like? Isn't that what it looks like? <laughs> yeah. You know. And uh, and I would I just I because I dig the Juggernaut so much as a character you know this unstoppable force, and when he and the Hulk fight, he's one of the few characters that the Hulk has never beaten clean. Yeah, and and so that's an interesting uh, point there for you guys about the Incredible Hulk. But anyhow, um, so I, yeah, I mean, look, I'm on, am I on board with future movies? You better believe it. Do I think that Brian Singer knows how to direct these movies? Yes, I'm not a fan of the fact that they looked at X-Men. I, I feel like this was too much of an easy out for what was established in X-Men The Last Stand. Mm-hmm. Too, so. Well, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I, I've because I like that movie so much, I kind of wish there was a little more um, directness from that. But I tell you what, I was surprised, considering what I was hearing, how much they referenced some of the stuff that happened, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Oh, I'm sorry. We'll see. I'm, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dave. I just... Uh, Admiral Pettit, as we call her in the chat, says Hulk beat him with a look over there trick. No, a lot of times the, the Juggernaut would end up beating himself. But there is a great two-parter in Thor around 1989-1990. It's the Acts of Vengeance stuff. The new warriors were introduced for the first time in, in this particular story arc. But the Juggernaut shows up to fight Thor. And Thor can't beat him. And Thor basically strands the Juggernaut on a... He ends up just using his hammer to teleport him to a darn asteroid and leave him there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I got back into that, but... Oh, that's cool. But, you know, I think think, uh, Brian Singer will do great. I'm looking forward to what they do with the next one. Yeah, and and he is attached to direct right now. Now, I'll tell you one thing I like about his style, and I've always liked, is he doesn't necessarily craft himself around what's the fad mm-hmm. <clears throat> Zack Snyder with the shaky cams yes you know what I'm saying there was opportunity to do that in this movie yep, I agree I and agree. I'm telling you man I, I mean he didn't do it and I respect the heck out of him yep. for his choice on that now Steve one more question and then I'll let you know I'll quit hijacking the show here okay what did you think of the Sentinels were you okay with the change they made, or with which with the future Sentinels? Yes. Yeah, I thought those were okay. I, I liked I, it. Made sense that what they were doing and how they were doing. Uh, you know, it was a very Terminator T two thousand or T one thousand. You know, kind of situation. I I was completely fine with that, and I really liked the look from uh, the first. You know, the first models of them that we saw in in the seventies or whatever. I think I I think that. I think that Brian Singer and his team, though, still have a hard time. And, and, you know, and I would say this to anyone who's going to make a superhero movie. We've seen uh, with Captain America, we've seen with Thor, we've seen with Iron Man, we've even seen with the Hulk to an extent. We've seen, especially with Spider-Man, that as far as looks go, you don't have to stray too far Mm -hmm. from what was on the page. 
and you don't have to be smarter than the material. You know, if it made sense for these Sentinels to look like that, that's fine. And they did have that purple kind of look to them. And so I was okay with the Sentinels. I wasn't like, well, that's not how they looked in the comic books. Um, <laughs> and I really, I really like the idea that these things were so dangerous because I never believed the big, super tall, slow moving Sentinels were a threat to the X-Men, but those Sentinels from the future. Yeah. I believed them. Yeah. I mean, it was, they were very scary. And um, now the only, for cinematic purposes, the only time we had seen a Sentinel was in the danger room. And uh, right. was that last stand? Yep beginning of last stand wolverine throws and that, the head and that and that head was more akin to what the sentinels looked like in the comics right yeah so right but yeah so anyhow well dave thanks for getting on and chatting with me about it real quick um you know it's uh it's definitely uh you know i don't think that it's splitting i think i'm one of the few people in the world who look at it and was kind of underwhelmed yeah. So, I mean, what do you think multiple viewings you think would help or I don't know. You kind of convinced me to go see it again based on the fact that I was down immersed in Star Wars and Disney when I saw it. So I mean, that happens to me, man. Like if I'm like really into Star Wars or something like that and then something comes out and I'm kind of like, "Eh." But then later I'll be like, "Man, let me watch this again." And it yeah. just blows me away. Yeah, so. there are times where things really hit it hit it on all cylinders upon a second viewing. So I have to check it out. Yep. All right, Dave. Well, have a good night. Now, I'll talk to you tomorrow night live on Mark Out Loud at 9 o'clock uh, right here at uh, Mixer.com slash Big Honkin Show. That's right. We'll be doing uh, WrestleMania 5. WrestleMania 5. And I've got some stuff I want to talk to you about about the current product as well. Very good. Have a good night. All right, man. You too. We'll talk to you soon, Dave. All right. Thanks a lot. Impromptu Bye. guest, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Jones coming on the show. And I uh, want to thank him for stopping by and chit-chatting a little bit about x-men i knew that he had a more positive view than i did on it and that's why i wanted to bring him in on uh chris's email now we've got another chris christopher titchenall dr quest in the chat uh and he's writing in about godzilla and i want to tell you christopher titchenall uh is my godzilla supplier he is he was when i was trying to walk through all the movies he was my enabler for all things godzilla and and he really made sure that I was watching the right things and looking at the right things and and staying on track and everything. He was really super excited and and I really found a certain fondness for Godzilla in those movies as I was watching through. And I didn't get through all of them. I you know I got through a big chunk of the the fifties and sixties. I don't know that I got up into the seventies even with with what I was watching. But I know I didn't get into any of those from the eighties and the nineties. But um. But he even uh, made sure that I had, I've got Gamera, you know, some of the Gamera movies. Is that how you say it? Gamera, Gamera, uh, the turtle thing. Um, and I watched those and I'm like, I, I like giant monsters, guys. I really do. I think that I'm, I think that I'm a fan of the kaiju, so to speak. So Christopher writes in and understand that I put a lot of weight uh, behind what he says about Godzilla. He says, I rate Godzilla movies like I rate Elvis movies. I I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I don't know how to take that. <laughs> but I don't know how to take that. Whoa. Everybody, sing along. Let's let's do a big honking show sing along here. Yeah. I can't walk out because I love you too much, Godzilla. 
and kaiju are big they'll ruin your town you better run away and scream we can't go on together when godzilla raids when godzilla raids anyhow uh it's really interesting to hear someone say, I rate Godzilla movies like I do Elvis movies. Um, fat and skinny? Who knows? Uh, he says, based on how much I enjoyed watching it. And that's, a, you know, listen, that's how I rate all movies. How much did I enjoy watching this? What, Not necessarily what was my experience, what I expect, but how much, ultimately it is, how much did I enjoy watching it? He says, hear me out. Elvis made the same movie over and over again, just with different girls and locations. Fair enough. Godzilla made the same movie over and over again with different monsters. So the question is, did I enjoy watching the 2014 Godzilla? In short, kind of, but not really. Godzilla looks like Godzilla, done. He fights other giant monsters, sold. The rest of the movie, in Piper voice, talking about Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh boy. Uh, oh man. Uh, baby Jesus. Um, uh, whew, yeah. I was excited when I saw the trailers, but I wish that was the movie I saw in the theater. You know, I think I completely agree with you, Christopher. I think that was kind of my issue. Is I feel like it wasn't marketed right. I feel like there was there was too much of a focus on Brian Cranston and too much of a promise of something bigger when we saw the movie than what we were seeing in the trailers. It's like I understood why they were kind of hiding Godzilla through most of those trailers, except for a quick shot here, a quick shot there. But I I didn't expect that from the movie. I expected to, to full reveal, longer time spent with Godzilla than what we got. And, and so I guess that's where some of my disappointment comes. Um, when the first trailer they showed, uh, quotes, Bagada Vida Gita, in the Gada baby. Now I am become death, the destroyer of the worlds. And Gareth Edwards said the first Godzilla was his favorite. One would assume Godzilla is going to be the bad guy, not the monster getting a battleship escort and saving people on a bridge. Walt's dead. <laughs> Enough said. Good thing the military had all those uniforms laying around for kick-ass to change into. Edwards' first movie, Monsters, was a slow burn leading up to the reveal of the monster, but this movie is called Godzilla. You go to see Godzilla. Like Kermit said, no one goes to a Muppet movie to watch the humans. Uh, the Muto were fun. Of the fights you did see, I enjoyed. I'm not going to go over all the kaiju nods the movie had, but I did like having Brian Cranston's character named Brody. It was a nice tribute to Jaws. Will I pick this up on Blu-ray? Well, if I own Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster on Blu-ray, you better believe I'll own this movie. So Christopher kind of kind of not kind of lukewarm on the old Godzilla, and I'm I'm glad to know that I feel the same way. Now, this comes from Matt, our good friend, Phantom Rider. He says, I'm going to get right to the point, sir. I'm losing faith in these new wars. As a longtime moderate superfan of the Galaxy... How are you... How is one a moderate superfan of the Galaxy far, far away? Not a reader of the Expanded Universe, but keep up to date with all the new stuff and summary. I had trepidations going into a Star Wars without George Lucas. He is Star Wars. I agree. As someone who grew up during the prequel years of 1995 to, or 1999 to 2005... I usually find prequel haters to be people with too much time on their hands and not enough females in their lives. Is it any wonder I've got too much time on my hands? 
Um, I find it offensive to think that somehow someone else can do a better job at telling stories with a world that came out of George Lucas's brains with characters he created. But now I sort of feel the way these prequel haters do about these new Star Wars, which most of it has to do with the way this movie was cast and the corporate mentality of it all. I was watching Empire of Dreams the other day with my old man, and Lucas was talking about how the new corporate studios that took over in the late 60s were doing marketing to make new movies rather than letting the artists do their thing. Generally, this is how I see these new movies. I want to stop right there and say, you know, that's a fact that needs never be lost on anyone who loves Star Wars. Star Wars were independent films and everything about those movies even the prequels were really independent films lucasfilm yeah is it was a company it was owned by george lucas independently owned by george lucas that's why he was able to sell it to disney and him pocket the money he didn't split it up amongst his shareholders and stuff and so everything was done his way in his direction. And Empire of Dreams, if you've not seen it, it's an incredible documentary. It is so good. Check it out if you if you have the chance. Empire of Dreams. It tells not only the story of Star Wars, but in a way the story of Lucasfilm. And Lucas did a lot to kind of buck the system when he was making these movies. Uh, he wanted Irvin Kershner back, and, and he wanted Steven Spielberg, too, for Return of the Jedi. He wanted to get one of those two guys for Return of the Jedi, but he couldn't because of his problems with the Director's Guild. He had all kinds of issues with people because he would not put opening credits in a movie. Can you imagine that today? How many movies do you go see that have no opening credits whatsoever? I mean, that's just kind of commonplace now. So, you know, pioneer this guy was. He wanted to tell his story, and he wanted his story told. When the first casting news came out, Matt goes on to say, I was super excited along with my old man because it was new Star Wars. Then I tuned in to Geek Out Loud and listened to the roundtable and got even more excited. Well, other than that mental breakdown Cohen had over Attack the Block. Horrible movie, says Matt. <laughs> but other, other than that, it was, I was all about it again. Steve, I felt like I could take on the whole empire myself. I know what you mean, Dak. But recently I felt like my snow speeder has been stopped. Wait a second, hold on. We got to do this, gang. <laughs> it's just a sad email all of a sudden. It's just such a sad, sad email. But recently, I felt like my snowspeeder has been stepped on by Disney's Imperial Princess Walker. It began in the very halls of the Magic Kingdom with the theft of the Maleficent script from writing guru Paul Dini by Disney and the subsequent threats to ruin him if he said anything about not getting any credit for it. Now with the casting of Lupita, it feels like one big corporate movement for marketing. Whatever you can say about George Lucas, Star Wars was never a corporate kiss butt. They were well-crafted stories that one man came up with and he did them the way he wanted them, with the people he wanted. As a Hispanic writer, this push for diversity doesn't feel genuine. It feels less like story requirement and more like meeting a quota so that they can corner every market for more money. It's positively, most transparently bringing me down, Steve. I was hoping for some of that old big honking magic to get me up for these movies because right now I've become more and more of a Warner Brothers man these days and have even began in my heart to root against these movies. 
your friend in time, Matt. <laughs> You're rooting against Star Wars? You're rooting against Star Wars? <sighs> okay. I want to take you back to around this time last year. Guys, I was down on Star Wars. I was I was down on what was happening with Disney. Disney had ripped everything away. They had they had they had taken away the Clone Wars. They had done away with uh, LucasArts. They there was rumblings about this rebels thing and all the characters seemed kind of you know cookie cutter from what we were getting from star wars and um and and i listen i was there man i was totally down and then there was this black and white picture of a casting couch jj abrams had been announced as the director and all this stuff was going on and and i was trying my best i was really trying to uh to get my best positivity for this thing back so that casting announcement and those people in that room seeing Mark Hamill energized on stage at Disney Star Wars weekends, hearing people just kind of excited about what's happening, seeing that UNICEF video and that and that little critter walk by JJ Abrams. The thing is, is I don't I don't know. I mean, Matt, I don't know how you feel about what Marvel Studios has done under the Disney banner. You know, they're they're owned by Disney. And you don't really see mouse-shaped fingerprints on any of these Marvel movies. I don't feel like that anything that they've done has been done with a market in mind other than let's make a good movie and attract people there. No one would have ever cast Robert Downey Jr. for Iron Man if they were going strictly by a corporate marketing mentality, you see. Yet, John Favreau came along and did it. No one would have ever done things and built things the way that they did to lead to that Avengers film except Marvel Studios because apparently the corporate mentality was the corporate mentality was start big, start with this team and then spin off from there. We've seen that with the X-Men films. Uh that's what Warner Brothers initially wanted to do with Justice League. So what what Marvel Studios was doing tended to go against the corporate mentality and you didn't see the Disney hammer, and everyone's kind of panicking about this Disney thing. But the thing about J.J. Abrams is, when you watch the the first Star Trek that he did, um, what you see is is someone who said, "I want to inject Star Wars into Star Trek." So we're not going to get Star Trek done in you know injected into Star Wars here. We've got a Star Wars fan directing and helming a Star Wars film. Uh, as it pertains to Rebels, man, Dave Filoni sat at the feet of the Master, and someone mentioned that in the chat here a moment ago that Clone Wars was awful, and I, I don't know if, if, if he was just trying to derail me or, or, or tick me off, but I challenge anyone to watch through some of those Clone Wars, particularly those last four episodes of Season 6, and tell me that's not some of the best Star Wars you've ever seen. It was really good stuff. And, and so I just I want to say hang in there 
I want to say stay with it and and give it a chance. I, I think your fear of the corporate mentality is a little is a little off because what I've seen from Disney and I saw it as far back as the nineties with Pixar. Now granted a lot of people would kind of point fingers at Pixar and be like, well all they're doing now is sequels. I'm sorry. You you look at a you look at a movie like Up. What Disney movie is anything like Up? Up is I mean the first ten minutes crushes you. The first the first ten minutes absolutely destroys you, and then you turn around and you're kind of laughing and you're joking and you and you're moved for the rest of the time. But it's really it's really an interesting thing that Disney has figured out. We've got these properties, we've got these studios under our belt. Let them do what they can do. I think that what I really think is going to be interesting to see is is the rise of Kathleen Kennedy uh, through all this. Um, She's someone who's been a friend to George Lucas. She's someone who knows how he thinks. And I think all of these people, um, I think all of these guys uh, know and love Star Wars. You've got people who were involved in the original trilogy. You've got Kasdan and, and, uh, and, and uh, Kinberg. You've got, you've got tons of good people working on this stuff. So hang in there, man, and, uh, and take a look at some of those leaked pictures. I hate to encourage you to do that. But when you see a full-scale Millennium Falcon being built, you can't help but just kind of smile and laugh. So um, <clears throat> there you go. So, Matt, I hope I've helped you out. I hope that you uh, you can kind of turn the corner. It took me a while. I mean, it really did. I, I went down that path, so I understand what you're saying. More Godzilla talk from our good friend Maui Mark, Mark Von Kugler. He says, Aloha, Steve. I've been a Godzilla fan since the late 60s. From childhood, I could not get enough. Strange my wife hates Godzilla. <laughs> I have all the movies and most of the soundtracks. Still working on that. There's more to this part of my story, but that's another story. Godzilla 214, 2014 is a great addition to the 30-movie history for the King of the Monsters. For me, the first and last 30 minutes of the movie were the best. The beginning was so powerful with Brian Cranston and Juliet Binoche. Uh, both did an excellent job of setting up the overall story. I wish Cranston's character was further involved in the movie. Ford and Elle's character were a bit two-dimensional. For me... The best scene was between Ford and Joe Brody when both were facing their losses and fears in the contamination zone. Elle wasn't a bad character, but thought she could have had a much bigger role. It's my belief that a movie score is just as important as a good script, directors and actors. The music was good, and some of the most important sections quite good. But it really would have been nice to have at least a short piece or a nod to Akira Ifukabu. Ifukabi. Ifukabu. I don't need to keep trying to pronounce that name. Kaiju action. I did enjoy the kaiju fight footage. The first uh, scene that switched to news coverage was invented in a nice surprise, but it got old the more they used it. Definitely one of more battle sequence at the Honolulu airport. The last fight sequence, about 20 minutes, was very good. If there was one thing I would have liked more of, it's the battle sequences. The Motus, uh, the Muto, I guess, was a great new monster, and the past monsters were not included. The Mutos were doing just what they needed to, to survive lay their family's future uh, with the eggs and protect against predators, Godzilla and human. Love the differences. Uh, father is more of the predator, small and winged. Mother, larger, stronger, but without the wings. The parallel between Ford and Godzilla was nicely done. As Ford was working to destroy the eggs, Godzilla was battling the Mutos. As the Mutos was closing in to kill Ford, it gave Godzilla time to take out the mother. Godzilla atomic breath. I was so happy they included it. This version seemed more lethal than the others. When Godzilla gave mouth-to-mouth to Mother Motu or Muto, it was awesome. And then he rips her head away and discards it and roars in victory. 
Godzilla. The design of the monster was very well done. The animators did an excellent job articulating Godzilla's mood and lack of regard for humans. He was a true hunter in this movie. He had one thing on his mind. You got the feeling he knew what was at stake. If he failed, uh, the Muto's children would kill him. Before the release, Toho was doing a bit of bash on the latest version of Godzilla, Big Elephant Feet, and said this was a fat version of Godzilla. And if someone uh, asks if this is a good movie, check the numbers. Per Box Office Mojo, it's doing quite well. Looks like it'll be able to pay the expense and more. Hope this isn't too much information. I'll leave it in your head to edit my comments. Well, I'm not going to edit them. I kind of read through them. I just didn't click on the numbers there. Uh, yeah, they've got a sequel in the works already. And, you know, the thing about a sequel is they'll listen, I think, as long as they don't knee-jerk reaction um, to the listeners. If, if they don't knee-jerk reaction, be like, well, we've got to have all monster fighting and no story whatsoever. As long as they... You know, listen to the listen to the fans and and give a little bit more and and make sure they still maintain a really good story. I, I think there's only good things for this franchise in store. I really, really do. And um and you know I I'm not I wasn't so disappointed with this movie. And I can't say that I was disappointed with the movie. Uh, I I bought into the human story. I bought into those characters. I bought into that dude getting home. You know, there was a lot that I bought into that I've heard a lot of people say they didn't. But again, that's just me and how I roll. More Star Wars talk with Sabrina. She says, hey, it's Little Miss Ellis again with my two cents on a woman's issue. Padme. Honestly, until listening to the most recent show, it never occurred to me that she gave up the will to live. I always saw it as Anakin's attack weakened her and childbirth uh, did her in. 800 women per day, mostly in developing companies, die uh, in childbirth alone. That's without a Sith Lord chokeout. I mean, giving up like that just doesn't jive to me. If she really thought there was good in him, she would have been like, oh, heck to the naw. You just don't go bad and walk away. She would have fought for him. Not doing that, despite thinking her Anakin was still in there somewhere and having two brand new babies makes me think dying wasn't a choice. She absolutely had a broken heart, but with her faith in him, she just wouldn't have given up. I'll step off my soapbox for now. And that comes from Little Miss Ellis. Um, I can't, I mean, I, I can't disagree, but at the same time, it's right there in the film. The little droid tells him medically nothing's wrong with her. But she's dying. So, you know, there's something more at work than just the childbirth situation, which I know that's not just a thing. I know that's a traumatic experience and everything. But what I mean is, is, is there's more to it than the physical stuff that's going on and has gone on. The, the droid says, medically, there's nothing wrong with her. Physically, there's nothing wrong with her. So something else, I think, was going on psychologically, maybe even spiritually. You know, it could be that our friend Tim may be right. Maybe Palpatine uh, somehow reached out with the Force and killed her. Maybe somehow he did it. You know, I keep running into these walls. The dude has some great points. Tim has written in several times, backing himself up. And, and, and the more I think about it, the more I keep running into these arguments and these walls, if she really believed Anakin was still good, would she really have given up? Not a fighter like we've seen Padme be. We've seen Padme too headstrong to let something go that she believes in. Now, granted, she'd just seen the Republic fall. She loved democracy. She loved the concept of democracy. I don't know. I just... It's a, it's a neat mystery, and it's, it's, really, um, it's really an interesting discussion. And so I think... She would live for her kids, Alicia in the chat says. I agree. I mean, there, there seems to be uh, something maybe more at work. 
maybe there is something more at work. Um, Tim writes in. He says, while I was listening to the latest episode, I thought I would clear up a comment from my email you read. You sounded surprised when I said I thought the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was better than Temple of Doom. I wasn't trying to put down Temple of Doom at all. You know, I want to say this real quick. I never thought you were trying to put down Temple I was surprised because you're one of the few people in the world who would actually say that. I, it wasn't that I, I thought you were trying to put the Temple of Doom down. Too many times when we love something and we and we find something we love a little bit more, like a little bit more, and we say, hey, I like, we use it as comparison. Hey, I like this better than that. People feel like we're putting down the old thing. I've said that Captain America Winter Soldier is the best superhero sequel since Superman 2, and that it's a better sequel to me than Superman 2. Now, that does not mean that I don't love Superman 2. That means that I still love Superman 2, and that shows you how much regard I have for Captain America Winter Soldier as a film, as a movie, as a superhero movie sequel. And so, so I, don't want, I don't want you to misunderstand me and think that I thought you were putting down Temple of Doom. He says, I love that movie. It was actually the first Indiana Jones movie I saw as a kid. It just hasn't held up as high as the others have to me. I would rank them number one, The Last Crusade, number two, Raiders, number three, Crystal Skull, number four, Temple of Doom. I don't get most of the criticism that one gets that uh, others are over uh, are over are, are overlooked. I'm sorry, let me start the sentence over again. I don't get most of the criticism that one gets that are overlooked for the others. But it had aliens. So what? So magic rocks are fine, but aliens? That's crazy talk? Sorry, I don't get it. I know Shia LaBeouf is the internet darling for hatred. Some of it deserved, but I don't think he ruined anything either. The only scene that even bothered me was a swing through the jungle with, jungle with the monkeys. Uh, but that was just a poorly thought out sequence and not his fault. And Marion was back. It was a fun adventure. But that's my take. How would you rank the movies? Also, is there any chance of doing a show on Indiana Jones movies like you did the Rocky movies? If you've already covered this, I'm sorry I missed it. As always, thanks for the safe place to geek out. Derek and I started to do an Indiana Jones show, and we couldn't get our groove going for some reason that night. Um, real quickly, how would I rank those movies? It I used to be similar to you. I... I I used to think I used to like Last Crusade better than Raiders. However, as I've gotten older, that shifted, um, and I go Raiders number one, Last Crusade number two, Temple of Doom number three, Crystal Skull number four. I love them all. I remember when I saw Crystal Skull in the theaters, I, I just realized about halfway through I had this dumb grin on my face, and it had been there, and I was just so happy to see Indiana Jones back, and it was, you know, I, I there was so much of that movie that was good. That the stuff was, um, you know, the stuff that wasn't good didn't bother me that much, you know. So, um, but that's how I'd go with the with the indie movies. Uh, Will writes in in response to the Godzilla discussion. He says, whilst listening to your Godzilla discussion, there were a couple of things that came to my mind. Number one, I think they really messed up by not having a post credit scene, since they are in fact doing a sequel. Even if they had just shown a big pile of rocks start to rumble, boom, you've set up a sequel, Godzilla 2. Before Godzilla 2, you have Godzilla 1.5, which takes place right after the first one ends. Godzilla is swimming away, and this movie is from his perspective. So as he swims away, he's talking to himself, voiced by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> and the first two minutes of the movie is just him saying, Man, I told him not to push me. I was like, why are you pushing me? And they just kept pushing me. So I was like, okay, you want to fight? I'll fight. You're not so bad. I'll fight. Why are you pushing me to fight? I'll fight. Yo, Muto, I'll fight. And then I just, you know, I took a little nap. And after that nap, they still wanted to fight. So I was like, okay, we'll fight. 
And I just shot atomic fire down his throat, and I was like, yeah, don't be pushing me. Godzilla then rises up to home, and his wife has just made muffins. The rest of the movie is just like the everyday life of Godzilla. There's the pitch. Number three, I disagree with your opinion that the spinoff movie, I think the Godzilla director would be perfect to do a Boba Fett movie. Boba Fett is epic. Everyone loves him, but not counting the EU, all we know about Boba Fett is that he's the son of Jango. Han is no good to him dead, and he will talk back to Vader. <laughs> That's true. That's what we really know about him. We know. <laughs> That's a great point. Here are the three things we know for sure about Boba Fett. He's the son of Jango. He'll talk back to Vader, and Han is no good to him dead. I sometimes equate Boba Fett to Wolverine. They are both super cool, but if they try to carry their own movie, the character can get watered down. I think that were we to get a movie that was light on the Fett until the last 30 minutes, it would be that much cooler just because he can. Have the first part of the movie be just like people being sniped or people trying to capture him or the camera always just 30 seconds behind him. I personally don't want anyone but Boba Fett to be Boba Fett, Tamira Morrison voice and all. I think uh, that to have someone else don the suit is almost an easy way out. I don't think there's anything to get out of, and I think that that's the problem I have with that idea, is there's nothing to get out of. Just go with what you got. I don't want a backstory either. I think we just need a the good, the bad, and the ugly with Boba Fett. I don't want to see under his helmet, and I do want it to actually be Boba. Just my opinion, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Thanks. Um, I love the point. I love the point of this is what we know about Boba Fett. There's some good stuff in the Clone Wars series with Boba Fett. I think a movie um, with him, because the thing about Boba Fett is you never really know how much of a, is he a bad guy or is he just a tough guy? You know, he, he's just someone that'll, he, his only, from what I understand, you know, once we hit an adult Boba Fett, really his only boss is the money he's going to make you know he was he was on contract apparently with job of the hut so I mean, that makes him kind of bad i don't know i just it's like i liken it to wrestling and when you have two bad guys fight nobody cares and so I, I'm, I'm i'd be really interested to see how they roll this out um with him what kind of honor he has if he is so i yeah i mean let's do it let's see a boba fett movie and and do a, a western with boba fett a good, the bad, and the ugly kind of thing. I think it could work. I agree with I agree with Will. I agree with Will. Speaking of westerns, Christopher Lutz writes in and says, Hey Steve, you had mentioned a couple of weeks back how you had not seen a couple of John Wayne movies a listener had mentioned. Did you enjoy a lot of westerns? I was raised on the John Wayne movies my dad enjoyed, and as I got older, I enjoy them more and more. A great one to start with is McClintock. It's definitely the Duke's most fun film and my favorite. It's based on a Shakespeare play about a cattle baron struggling to mend his relationship with his wife. Two others to start with would be Rio Bravo and El Dorado. Rio Bravo is the story of an outnumbered local sheriff fighting a powerful rancher. And El Dorado is a remake of this. Rio Lobo was a remake of this film, but it isn't quite as good as the other two. The two final films I would recommend are Red River. One's about, about one of the West's first cattle drives. And The Searchers. Wayne plays a Confederate soldier looking for his kidnapped niece. John Wayne gives his best performance in these films. I think both of these movies were mentioned before, and they really do speak for themselves. Any fan of Star Wars or sci-fi or action movies would enjoy westerns, I think. Many modern films borrow aspects from westerns when you think about it, after all. I guess in the end, I just want to hear your John Wayne impression. Keep up the good work, Steve. The Goliverse gets me through my long days at work. I figure I'm the only farm boy that listens to you. Well, all right. 
Um, I don't know that I have a John Wayne impersonation. Well, well, Pilgrim, well, I, I don't. Um, the only John Wayne movies I've seen, I saw The Quiet Man because we had to watch it one time in school. And I've seen True Grit because um, I wanted to see it as well as the Coen Brothers version of True Grit. And I was trying to win a lady at the time who was really big into the John Wayne stuff. Uh, I've never been big into westerns. I love Tombstone. Um, I love Back to the Future 3. Um, but I've never really been a big fan of, of westerns. I like The Man from Snowy River, which is not really a western. It's set in Australia. But I like it. The Brumbies. we got to get the Brumbies. Um... What is another Western? I watched 310 to Yuma. I liked it okay. The the remake, that is. Yeah, I, I can't... I mean, I've never really been big into Westerns. Um, I hear I need to watch some, though. I, you know, go and watch The Searchers. I will watch... I've heard Lonesome Dove is one that I need to watch. People have told me, you need to watch Lonesome Dove. Uh, the Magnificent Seven, people are saying. Um, okay. I mean, I will see what I can do. Are any of these on Netflix? Any of them? Let me know, guys. Um, oh, I love the theme song of the man from Snowy River. It, I just always dug it. Uh, Bruce Rowland did the music <clears throat> for that movie. And um, let me see if I can pull this up here. I just love the piano music and stuff. Kind of starts out like the uh, the Lonely Man theme. If you've not seen The Man from Snowy River, it's worth checking out. It's a Disney movie. Um, I don't know if um, I don't know if it's on Netflix or not, and. I, I heard it was made for TV, but they also had Return to Snowy River. And uh, this is just a cool movie, man. There's a moment uh, when he's going after um, he's going after the old uh, the old the Brumbies. He's going after the Brumby and all the horses. And man, he hits that that uh, mountainside that no one else will go down. Oh, so good. Anyhow, so yeah, I always dug, uh, I always dug the man from Snowy River. If you've not seen it, check it out. It's, it's worth watching. Um, but westerns, I've never been getting a lot of suggestions in in the chat. Uh, Lonesome Dove or Magnificent Salmon on Amazon Prime, uh, Instant View. Uh, who was a fistful of dollars? Someone says, I like a lot of that music. The what's the guy's name? In Inicio Marconi. Is that is that? Did I say it right? Um, his music for that stuff is really good. Five Goes West, sure, sure. 
everyone is I tell you what guys someone someone nominate someone else to send in <laughs> someone nominate someone else to send in uh, a list of must view westerns for me and I'll try to get through them uh will um <laughs> uh will wrote in asking about the easter eggs in the movie just a, it was a lot of blink and you'll miss it stuff in those opening credits that were being uh like redacted documents and finally lonnie writes in from jacksonville he says i originally listened to your show you did for terminator the sarah connor chronicles that was called sky next and also to geek out loud didn't you bring the show to an end several years ago or am i not remembering correctly um anywho i've rediscovered gold and i love it your sense of humor well thank you um the discussion he he said uh, i've been wanting to email for your while I get uh, for about a discussion i had on a message board and get your thoughts the discussion was rather geeky as it was who is the best lightsaber fighter it would make for a lively and inter- interesting uh discussion debate some said yoda some luke some obi-wan even darth maul his weakness was his overconfidence not dueling which caused his demise. Also, you have Anakin slash Darth Vader, who might be considered two separate individuals. Well, if you're Obi-Wan Kenobi, they are. I'd really enjoy your thoughts and keep breaking it down for us. Keep up the good work and we'll keep listening. This is from Lonnie down in Jacksonville. First, I want to say, yeah, the I did bring Geek Out Loud to an end a while back. Uh, a lot of personal stuff was going on. We're back in a big way. I mean, we've completely swung the other way. I'm trying to go full-time with this thing. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. If you're talking about Skynex, the, t- the Sarah Connor Chronicles, we did bring that to an end when the show ended. And, you know, the, I've, I've had some emails back and forth with some people who were confused about a comment I made about Skynex a while back and how we were kind of glad it was over. It, there was just a lot going on at that time, and and to have that time freed up was just refreshing is all that meant. I loved that show. I loved the opportunities that doing a podcast about that show gave me. I loved doing a show with Derek about that show. Um, And we kind of stopped. We didn't jump on the bandwagon of a lot of Save the Terminator show and that sort of thing because we had heard from some sources on the inside that, yeah, you know, there wasn't any chance of bringing it back. They'd looked at all the avenues, the sci-fi stuff and all that, and it just wasn't going to happen. And so rather than um, kick a dead horse, which, I, I mean, I don't mean to sound defeatist, but we're just kind of like, well, you know, let's put our energy somewhere else now. Let's accept this and move on. And we were sad. We hated it. But, you know, it just it is what it is. It happened. And um, so uh, <laughs> Chris says you hated Skynex, right? No, I love doing Skynex. Once we found our stride with that show, it was so much fun. We had so much cool interaction with a lot of cool people. And, uh, and again, that's what I remember most about that show. There was our old curmudgeon Ace who would email us. There was that professor who would email us. She was a doctor. Uh, Rennie Christopher, I believe, was her name. And, uh, and so it was good times. You know, it, was a, it was a fun show, and, 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 there, and it was deep. It was, it was well-written. It was one of the most well-written shows on television at the time, and it, and it was so thick with various uh, references, literary and otherwise. And it was just really cool to kind of pick apart some of the stuff in that show. So I do miss it. Um, as far as the best lightsaber fighter, I, I feel like you got to go Yoda. I mean, I, I feel like, granted, the Emperor won, quote-unquote, that fight between those two. I, yeah, I mean, I just... I just say Yoda. I, I say based on what everyone was saying, I, I guess it just goes Yoda. I, I can't say Luke. Luke was never 
you know, now we might see that happen in, in episode seven, but, um, you know, I think it's, uh, I think you got to go Luke on that is, is what you got to do. That is, that's going to wrap it up for our emails. You can email us at geekoutonline at gmail.com, geekoutonline at gmail.com, and there you will, uh, will, hey, I'm all about reading emails on the show. I dig it. It's always been part of the show, and, and I'm really trying to get it back this way. You know, I'm really trying to get it back to where you guys are more the driving force, the conversation, everything that happens on the show. And I'm trying to be better about the social media interaction over at Facebook. People will email us and send messages through Facebook, and I don't catch those sometimes until days later. Our good friend Wu S. Kim does a great job of posting different news clips and stuff up over there. So feel free to check that out. There's always something new happening every day that you can comment on and participate in, and, and uh, we can keep that thing going. But, uh, but definitely uh, email us at geekoutonline at gmail.com. And now, Bad Impersonations Theater. A reading of the Joker interrogation scene from The Dark Knight, featuring Rush Limbaugh, Rocky Balboa, and narrated by Captain Jean-Luc Picard. <clears throat> I have to do my warm-up. It was here, number one. It was here. It was here. Batman slams Joker's head on the table. Friends, never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy, and he can't feel the next Batman crushes Joker's hand. You see, Snurdly? You see what I've got here? You wanted me, here I am. I wanted to see what you'd do. And just like the liberals, you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then you let Dent take your place, even to a guy like me. That's cold. Where's Dent? That was terrible. Uh, where's Dent? That terrible. Friends, those mob fools want you to think they want you dead so they can get back to the way things were. That's all they want. But I know the truth, dear listener, here at the Limball Institute. There's no going back. You've changed things forever. Then why do you want to kill me? Kill you? <laughs> Snurdly! Snurdly, he thinks... I Look, I don't want to kill him. I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers and and making sure the drive-by media stays in check? No, 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 no! You complete me. I hear nothing but garbage who kills for money! Don't, don't talk like one of them, Snurdly. You're not. You're not one of them. Even if you'd like to be. 
To them, you're a freak like me. They just need you right now. But as soon as they don't, they'll cast you out. Mark my word. Like a leper. Their morals. Their code. It's a bad joke, Snurdly. Friends, here at the Limball Institute, we'll tell you they'll drop out at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. You see, I'll show you. When the chips are down, these uh, uh, civilized people, they'll eat each other. I'm not a monster. But like always, I'm just ahead of the curve. Batman grabs Joker by the neck. Where's Dent? You have these rules, and you think they'll save you. I have one rule. Then that's the one rule you'll have to break to know the truth. Which is? Friends, the only sensible way to live in this world is without rules. And tonight you're going to break your one rule. Oh, I'm considering it. Absolutely. There are just minutes left, so you're going to have to play my little game if you want to save one of them. You know, for a while I thought you really were, Dent, the way you threw yourself at her. Batman blocks the door off with a chair and throws the Joker into the glass wall. Look at you! Does Harvey even know about you and his little bunny? Where are they? Batman grabs the Joker. Killing is making a choice, friends. Batman punches Joker in the face. You choose one life over the other. Your friend, the district attorney, or his blushing bride-to-be. Batman punches Joker again. You have nothing! Nothing to threaten me with, nothing to do with all your strength. Oh, but don't worry. I'm going to tell you where they are. Both of them. And that's the point. You'll have to choose. Batman is listening. He's at 250 52nd Street. And she's at Avenue X. And Cicero. Batman drops him. And runs out. And scene. <laughs> we apologize for the previous Bad Impressions Theater. It'd just been a while since we'd actually done it. And that, my friends, is going to wrap it up for us here on Geek Out Loud. Thanks to everyone who joined us live in the chat tonight at www.wacmesoupystore www.mixler.com slash show. As I said previously, I'd love to hear from you via the email. Email us at geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com Now many of you know about the Patreon campaign we're going to be launching on June 28th. Saturday, June 28th. There's going to be a huge marathon of all of the Goliverse shows. Starting that morning with the Big Honkin' Show and rolling right through Geek Out Loud, Mark Out Loud, Rock Out Loud, the newest edition 
coming to Geek Out Loud to the Goaliverse, the Disney Vault Talk with myself and Teresa Delgado. We're going to try to get some quizzing going on, know what I'm saying, and we'll wrap up that night with a big honking show, call-in extravaganza as we try to raise money, uh, well, for the Goaliverse. You can find out about what we're doing at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and we'll be launching our Patreon that day, June 28th, and trying to get a huge upfront start to what we're trying to do to make the Goaliverse bigger and better for you. Right now, though, you can support us by buying a t-shirt. Head over to geekoutonline.com and click on the Goaliverse store. That'll take you to a link where you can buy t-shirts in stock now. Smalls, mediums, larges. we got to get some extra large in stock, but i got to sell out a lot more shirts before I can afford to get some of those extra larges back in, which we'll do. The big boy size is still around 2X and 3XL. Head over to geekoutonline.com and click on Goaliverse store across the top. And, of course, while you're at geekoutonline.com, click on the Goal Insider. That's your email mailing list. Be a part of that. And you'll know when special stuff's going to be happening, when new shows are going to be launching. You'll have all the dirt. You'll be the first to know about new T-shirts that come out, that sort of thing, by going to geekoutonline.com and clicking on Goal Insider and signing up to be a part of our Goal Insider mailing list. Also at geekoutonline.com, to the left side up at the top, there's an Amazon banner. It's got a little search bar in it. If you'll go there and do your searching for Amazon and then do your shopping like you normally would, it really helps the site out, and we'd appreciate your time. Just an extra step in going and doing that. It would mean a lot to us. Over on the other side, there's an Entertainment Earth link. If you want to check out some of those reaction figures that are going out, check those out. They're really cool looking and a lot of great stuff there from EntertainmentEarth.com. Have I plugged everything? Have I plugged everything? Mark Out Loud coming soon tomorrow night. We'll do that live for those of you who are listening live. Dave and I talking WrestleMania 5. Next week, Disney Vault Talk kicks off with myself and Teresa Delgado. We're going to be walking through the animated films of Disney and more. It's going to be a good time and a lot of magic happening. Don't forget, if you want to help us promote the Goaliverse, send in a video or an audio clip 30 to 45 seconds long. It'll be part of our pitch video for our Patreon campaign. Need those by Thursday, June 19th. And then, of course, the big launch date, June 28th. Can't thank you enough for joining us and listening putting up with all my ramblings. Thanks to Dave Jones for joining us tonight. And once again, thanks to everyone who's joined us live in the chat. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone who's downloaded and listened. If you're listening through iTunes, head over that way, give us a rating and a review, and let people know about their safe place to geek out. Geek out loud. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>